Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello all, welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here with you. And uh, as always, want to give the disclaimer that this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes, and it does not constitute working with a licensed professional in your area. Please seek one out in your area to work on your healing. So... As you guys all might remember from one of our earlier episodes, we had author and mental health worker, David Archer, who is a mental mental health social worker, as well as a marriage and family therapist on talking about his work, uh, anti-racist psychotherapy and his fiction work, Black Mountain. Well, he's got two other books, which we're having back with us for this month of Black Celebration, Black Pride, Black History, to talk about as well. So, David Archer is an anti-racist psychotherapist from Montreal, Canada, who recognizes the unceded land, and I'll let him say the name of that when the land when he comes on. Uh, he has worked for decades in the mental health field. He is cleanly aware of the needs of underserved populations, including members of the African diaspora or the Mafa, survivors of colonization, and those persons who have been ex- who have experienced intergenerational trauma. David is a Indria-approved EMDR consultant and course provider. He maintains a full-time practice and is often re- recruited to provide ca- consultation services to other therapists and organizations throughout North America. He has expertise has been influenced by the principles of mind, intersectionality, intersectional feminism, I should say, and critical race theory. He's one of the few mental health practitioners in Canada who provide EMDR, brain spotting, EFT, and other mind-body strategies utilizing memory reconsolidation and working memory taxation methods. As before, you've heard him talk on here on our podcast, we've had him talk about the anti, the anti-racist and psychotherapy confronting systematic racism and healing racial trauma, which explains the philosophy between behind anti-racial practices and the mental health consequences of race trauma. It's available on Amazon, as is his other book, Black Mountain. But today, we're going to hope to talk much more about his other two books, which are Black Meditation, The Ten Practices for Self-Care, Mindfulness, and Self-Determination, and Racial Trauma Recovery, Healing Our Past Using Rhythm and Processing. So, David, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, and thank you for the introduction. It's a pleasure to be here. Likewise. And for those who are just catching this for the first time, uh, can you give us a little bit tidbit of how you got here? Um, so when I was younger, I was in, so I'm in, uh, this province called Montreal, Canada, and the original name of this land is Jogjaga. And when I was younger, I had no choice, but to know that I was going to either fall into the categorization of being black, white, or indigenous. There were like some others, but in my town where I was growing up, it was like 99% white Quebecois and 1% me. So I was clearly aware that there was a difference between myself and others that were out there. Mm -hmm. 
And my parents are Jamaican. So I'm a second generation Black, African, Jamaican, Canadian. And so I was also aware that my Jamaicanness was different from other Black people that would be there. And my Jamaicanness was very different from other people who consider themselves as Canadian. Um, not too much shade on Canadians, but we need some more seasoning up here. Once, once <laughs> wow. But, you know, the thing is that um, um, growing up in this context meant that I needed to be aware of the different levels or the different, um, I could say the, because uh, I call them the four cores of anti-racist psychotherapy, mm-hmm. is that there is an individual level, there's a racial trauma level, there's a family systems level, and there's also a social political level. Mm-hmm. So even from a young age, I had no choice but to engage with the concepts of what anti-racism was, even before I even knew how to spell the word. Mm-hmm. So I was a trained as a software engineer. So I was very interested in the idea that people could have complex problems and we can use computer code to resolve these problems. Uh, while I was studying or while I was working with this one guy in his in a very small office, um, trying to code and trying to learn how to code and trying to do it well, mm-hmm. I'd pass the times listening to audio of like, um, uh, a hypnotherapist. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was listening to music. I was listening to all types of things, but I was very interested in the idea that you can use words and a person can feel more confident or they could change their state. Mm-hmm. And so while I was studying, while I was working, I was studying, listening to this stuff and thinking it would be so awesome if I could also use words to help other people improve their confidence. So after being able to improve how I felt about myself, I was thinking, well, I want to study more about the, instead of the information system that's within the computer, what about the systems that rule our thoughts? What about the systems that we are all a part of? So I did my bachelor's of psychology, master's of social work, master's in family therapy. I became an EMDR therapist because when I was working in indigenous communities with people who had addictions, I realized that the treatment for addictions wasn't taking into account their culture and also wasn't taking into account the trauma, which is at the root of why they're self-medicating. Whenever you see an addict, they're taking medicine. You know, they're taking medicine in order to heal from a wound. And so we not only need to find out how to make it so we heal the wound instead of just correcting the behavior, we also need to make it so that we are able to heal something that's a little deeper, which was the trauma, which is at the core. And so um, I learned EMDR therapy, uh, emotion, uh, emotional freedom technique is what it's called. That's what EFT is. So it's an acupressure based approach. I also, now that we mention it, I was also trained in being able to use Reiki. So energy therapy, because I was in a cultural environment where people were talking about spirits and spirituality. And so I wanted to make sure that I could speak their language. Uh, this is not a therapy technique, but I also spent, um, several years learning, uh, Ganyan Gahaga, the the uh, the Mohawk language of the Ganyan Gahaga people, so Ganyan Geha, and because I I saw that being able to say their names, not their English names, but saying their name in their language, it just created cultural trust, and it also showed that I wasn't trying to come from a Western mm-hmm. uh, colonization perspective, and so all of these things 
uh, led me to start to think that there may be a more efficient and more effective way of being able to help people. Mm-hmm. So learning EMDR, becoming an approved consultant, giving presentations to these international societies for the study of trauma and dissociation, the ISSSTD, giving presentations at EMDRIA and other uh, conferences led me to believe that it's not only me who was raised in an environment where there are these multiple levels of existence, and there are many therapists who are also trying to find out how do we address the person as a whole being. Mm -hmm. And that's what led me to develop rhythm and processing, which is the subject of the third book that I came out with. And rhythm and processing is a way of addressing the mental health consequences of racial trauma by using memory reconsolidation and helping people to reclaim their awesomeness. We're trying to find out how do we make it that therapy is relevant? How do we make it that therapy is also uh, effective? And how do we make it so that people are able to look forward to being able to heal from their traumas once and forever? Mm-hmm. Very nice. Well, and I think very much, and also what you said is something that <clears throat> is lost the idea of cultural humility for some is that aspect of learning to speak the language, mm. whether it is in the standpoint of the Reiki and the spiritualism of the people, as well as beginning to speak the language of the people itself. And as you said, the power of using their actual name. Yes. And there is. <laughs> If you read Ursula K. Le Guin's books, you know that names have great power. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I found that when I was speaking to people who were from indigenous places, whether indigenous to Africa or even indigenous to North America, it's like sometimes their name would carry a significance that even relates to the, the, um, uh, the presenting problem. Mm-hmm. So it was so interesting of... As much as I, when I wanted to know more about the person who was in front of me, I would learn more about how they had these internal resources that could also be uh, used to help them to, to heal and recover. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. And so uh, I feel that to some degree, our field uh, came about and gained prominence because of the medicalization that's within it. I'm trying to make it so that it could be seen as scientific, but the best therapists are not the ones who are in their heads. It's the ones that are in their heart. The best therapist is the one that's able to, to go to that place so that we open it up so that the client can go there as well. Mm -hmm. And so as I learned about the depths of my own experience, knowing that as humans that we're much more than just the physical reality that we, you know, we're emotional beings or spiritual beings and all Mm -hmm. these things, then it helped clients to also tap into something that's a little deeper. And that's what I'm trying to do with a rhythm and processing of making it that my clients come in like, um, just, uh, um, Oh yeah. Let me talk about this client just last week is that we were trying to resolve an issue. And sometimes a client will come in with unsolvable problems. So they come in with a problem that the therapist does not know the answer for and the client is also feeling stuck as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because a lot of our problems are kind of based on things that are outside of our consciousness and conscious mm-hmm. awareness. There's mm-hmm. the ice, the iceberg, the stuff we can see and the stuff we can't see. So the idea then is we may be able to solve problems without words. We may be able to solve problems without um, by bypassing what we see in terms of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. So 
using the rap technique, the rhythm and processing technique, we were able to process the stress that they had about their workplace, feeling as if it was something that they couldn't resolve by watching videos of their favorite Japanese anime. Right. So the positive the feeling. Videos. Yeah. Or, or the kitty yeah. videos. Yeah. 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 And the, the, the positive feeling that comes out of that, uh, of seeing their favorite fighting character, mm -hmm. uh, the smile that comes onto their face is disconfirming to the experience of stuckness that they have from their workplace. And then insights come from them instead of from me. And that is what we were trying to do. Instead of having the pattern of the expert therapist and then the client who knows nothing, we we're trying to make it so that the client is able to take their rightful place as being uh, the best therapist in their lives. Mm -hmm. Which is very counter, as you said, to the medicalized aspect of the doctor is the one who's supposed to cure you from whatever ailment has happened. <laughs> Even if that mm -hmm. ailment is something that your body has naturally decided it's time to do mm -hmm. any and in that same vein is the standpoint of the idea of the manualization that this can apply to every human and every human is at, is universal in the exact same way even though we're not we do have a lot of commonality places but that doesn't also play itself out mentally exactly because uh, then, as I know, I've said to others is people were wounded in relationship to other people. Mm -hmm. They're going to heal. They have to be in relationship to people as well, not F, lo and behold, machines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that the persons who wounded them are the right people to maybe help them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a conceptual thinking that does not enter our field as much as it really probably should be reminded of. Yeah. And that's why I think it's up to us. Uh, having this platform is something that helps. Um, the reason why I developed this psychotherapy and the reason why I write is because I'm writing the books I've always wanted to read. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that me being able to write in this way can inspire other therapists whether they're students, whether they're in the field, to also think differently of knowing that everyone has the ability of being able to uh, to create something that's very different. Mm -hmm. And this therapy also comes up because um, I feel like I was getting stuck with the previous approaches that were relying on just um, you know the insights that are just from the therapist. And I feel that there's a well of knowledge that is usually untapped in our sessions. I think that this is something that you see as an MFT, is that there's something about when we let the system operate, it's going to come up with solutions that can exceed even what the, the MFT, what the therapist yeah. themselves is aware of. And so I wanted to find out if it's possible for us to also access the internal family structure that is within an individual. Because with traumatization, what will take place is that there's a spectrum of trauma that's there. So if we go with the theory of structural dissociation, we know that PTSD is on one end of the spectrum, and then there can be complex PTSD and then dissociative identity disorder. I found that even if a person doesn't have the diagnosis of DID, they're still composed of multiple aspects. And uh, Richard Schwartz has spoken about that with internal family system, et cetera. But mm -hmm. I think that there's a way of being able to bring in 
the youngest part of the client, the most vulnerable part of the client, the adolescent part of the client, mm-hmm. and heal all members of the system. And this is mm-hmm. something that uh, um, it, it, I just want to share it. I just want to let people just know that this is what, what can be done. Exactly. And one of those other variances on that that I don't think it's talked off often, but was a big one at my school is psychosynthesis as well. Okay. Which is in that same, it, it, it's in that same aspect of that there are the multi parts of self, but what is the parts? Yeah. What the roles may not be so much about family, but uh, essentially the archetypal energies that might be seen for this person as well. Yes. Yes. And so that's why I think there are, there are many. So I'm not as familiar with psychosynthesis. That's not something that I was trained in. But I think that there's something that is appealing when you speak to an individual and you let them know that there's more to, to them than meets the eye. I think there, there's something that's, that is intuitive about that for, for many people. And I think that moving people towards integration, moving people towards the idea that they're able to have peace within themselves mm-hmm. reduces the chance that they'll be in this, uh, in this conflict. Um, we, we might have spoken about it when we were talking about uh, Black Mountain Fight for the Future, mm-hmm. that even though it's a science fiction novel, it speaks about the themes of trauma. And I think it speaks about how when there are traumas that take place, there's a fracturation in the person's mind that they end up seeing them, uh, parts of themselves as an enemy. And so I tell my clients all the time that there is no enemy that is within you. Mm-hmm. And when they are able to heal from their trauma, when they heal from their suffering, um, my words, uh, just become like the reality, like even deeper than the words, it's that, uh, they feel it at the, at the experiential level because, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Well, also the flip of that is that the parts of themselves that are, that are needing the most protection that they've sectioned off and hidden away, but hidden away so well that they've forgotten where they put Mm-hmm. And that aspect of, oh, I know there was a part there. I know it, but it's, I know it's safe because I can't remember where it is. Mm. So that flip side of not just fighting themselves, the part that they know is so safe, they've thrown away the key and forgotten where they put it. Yeah. And for when you say that, it makes me think about dissociation. Mm. It makes me think about the, um, the survival basis of dissociation mm. is that a lot of times we look at it as pathological is mm. that the person who's been traumatized has hidden away an aspect of themselves in order to protect that part of themselves from further harm. And that itself is um, it even it's like it's There's a courage that's in that as well. Of course, there's a fear basis to it as well, but you need to have fear in order to have courage, but that's a topic for, another time or I could get into it, but there's, there's so much to dive into, but I always, even if the client presents with something that is like depression or anxiety or dissociation, I also help them to see how important it was that a younger aspect of themselves formed this mental health issue in order to help. The intention was there of trying to make it so no further harm would come to this vulnerable aspect of myself. The intention was there of making it so the depression sets in so that we look inwards, the anxiety disorder so that we look outwards to prevent further harm. When we're able to use the concept of utilization, then we're able to know that uh, the mental health issue, although it's seen as pathological, 
you know, that we have our DSM-5 that's going to list all of the problems that exist in the person's mind. Mm -hmm. We also need an extra book that's going to list all of the awesomeness that is within people as well. We need something to counterbalance it because we, we we're trained to look out for pathology. Mm-hmm. And if we only look in that way, then we can end up um, feeding into this narrative that the client is not as awesome as they actually can be. And there can also be the problem too, where the systems that are supporting them also adds to that traumatization of feeding to that idea of the pathology. Oh, Yes. Oh yes. So yeah, again, that's one of the things. Yeah, that's one of the things I think is also again is forgotten. In our field is there are systems that there are there to help save people. There are systems there to destroy people as well. And unfortunately, sometimes they get mislabeled. Unfortunately, um, you know, I oftentimes think about how um, it's like that Donald Trump was elected president, and you know, the thing is that I feel. It's like, because now again, is that as a Canadian, we watch you guys' news, maybe mm-hmm. to distract from our own problems in our in our own country, but we have no choice because if, if you guys do something, if you guys elect somebody, yeah. we are going to face the consequences because yeah, you may decide to, it, yeah, yeah. You, you guys may think that border doesn't have a big enough wall, we're going to invade it. So this is the reason why we need, we need to pay attention to you guys' politics, okay? You know, it makes me think about um, uh, uh, Dr. Jennifer Fried spoke about this idea called DARVO, which is mm-hmm. what, uh, so deny, attack, reverse victim and offender. And mm-hmm. the skill that Donald Trump has of that, of that people see him, even though he's a multimillionaire, they see him as the biggest victim. And many of the people who are his biggest supporters, I think, do not have a lot of resources, mm-hmm. either emotional, physical relational i think that they lack a lot of resources but to him he represents something that's uh, very important for them i think about how the people when you're talking about systems that cause pain some of the times the people who get into the positions of the highest influence usually do that out of a fear to some degree that i don't know that they could be locked up or that, <laughs> that they could be convicted of things just putting things out there or um, they do these things in part because like um, sometimes the people that are managers for jobs, they're not always the most empathic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the people that are at the highest levels of influence, the CEOs and all that are not always the most ethical, mm-hmm. but there's something about power that is there. And I think that's part of the root of why there are so many systems that work against our whole um, society. That's part of the root why we will say that it's systemic racism is because some of the people that are in decision-making capacities are some of the most wounded. These are some of the people that have hurt the most or are most traumatized or are um, furthest furthest away from the idea that there is no enemy that is within you. And that pushes them to put themselves in a position where they will be protected at all costs. And so I feel that... um, Everything when when I because I look at things in this way, I feel that everything is a metaphor. Uh, when I look at things in this way, I think of um, of how important it is for us to um, to make a society where even the people with the most power that they don't have to live in so much fear anymore either. Mm-hmm. Which is part of why anti-racist psychotherapy and racial trauma recovery is such an important book. 
Yeah. <laughs> I admit, as, as we said before we started, I'm about halfway through the book. And there's also part of me saying, it's like, so what are you running a training that I could attend so we can talk about this and have the experiential side of it beyond yes. just reading the book? Yes. So I'm developing a training for rhythm and processing in this at this moment. And probably by the time people hear this, the training will be available. Oh, um, very nice. Because, um, so I wrote the book in part because there was um, a mass shooting that happened in, I think it was uh, Buffalo, New York, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so not only was it that there were clients, but there were also therapists that were looking for a way of being able to conceptualize race and racism in a way that was least or not as traumatizing and not as re-traumatizing, that they're trying to find a way of being able to put the ideas of anti-racist psychotherapy to use. Mm -hmm. So I consolidated everything that I was already working on. And that's what created to, this is what led to the emergence of rhythm and processing as a therapeutic framework. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to find a way that we could help individuals and also help groups because part of the, the trauma and the re-traumatization that I think happens in your country and mine is what we are consuming in our media. Mm. There are many clients who come to me with racial trauma issues, but not because of what they've experienced individually, but because of what they continue to consume through social media and continue to, to experience vicariously. Mm. So rhythm and processing technique then uh, comes about in a context where, you know, COVID was technically still a thing that people were afraid of. Some people are more afraid of it. Some people aren't. Some people still have conspiracy theories. Some people have less. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the thing is, it comes about in a time where we're still experiencing and grappling with the ramifications of uh, the racial violence that is ongoing mm -hmm. and happening in multi multiple ways. And it comes through a way of being able to find out because again, I'm the only black male EMDR approved EMDR consultant in my country. I don't know if, if there are any others and I'm trying to increase the numbers. So it comes at a time when we need to find a more efficient way of doing, being able to do this, where we, are, where we need to start to think about how do we help people who are in groups who are affected by these mass shootings and exposure to the media and these things. And that's where this book comes in. Um, it's also a technologically advanced form of helping people to heal and recover. Um, I still work virtually, although I can do the approach in person. Um, virtually has allowed me to help more than just the people in my Montreal area. And it's allowed for some people who have had disabilities who can't get up, up all the stairs to my office. So we need something that's not only anti-racist, something that's also going to fight against sexism, ableism, and all the different isms that are there and that can work with individuals and with uh and mm -hmm. and work with systems themselves yes well that's also that standpoint of having the, your future training in this be something that can be done virtually allows it to get out to as much of the world as possible it will be it's it's there and i'll put you on my mailing list and anyone okay. who wants to be on the mailing list feel free archertherapy.com because uh, the revolution only happens with uh, with everyone being involved. I feel that you're also talking about my fifth book. I don't think we were intending oh. on speaking about it, but I'm going to be... Did we talk there, about the fifth book last time? There is a, there is a fifth okay. book. So the fifth book is called um, 
Transforming Complex Trauma Reflections on Anti-Racist Psychotherapy. Oh, so I love the cover on this too. Butterfly thank you. And such, so. Yes. Okay, yeah, I hadn't seen that one. And it's going to be adding to my order list. Fantastic. So uh, Transforming Complex Trauma was meant to consolidate the ideas, all of the things that we're actually talking about in this conversation. And it's meant to be a shorter book. Even though I tried to make it as short as possible. My brother was like, these books are too long. I can't read all of them. So I tried to make a shorter one and I failed because the thing is, it still is as long. It still is like 40,000 words because well, there's so much to talk about. Yeah, but let's be frank and say it's complex. That's not going to be something that you can just basically pare down to a sentence or exactly. not even just a paragraph. These are complex structures. That Agreed. Have, you know, that has both, both caused people to fight, but also for people to protect themselves. And I'm part of me saying, well, maybe then we need to have a fifth ring for the anti-racism talking about power. But no, that's probably built into all the other rings as it well. Is. So, yeah. So there's yeah. no need for a fifth ring. Yeah. And it's okay. It's my, my brother was complaining about it, but he's my brother. He, he'll have to deal with it. <laughs> it's okay. He'll forgive me. He'll find He'll find a way. Um, so the thing is that for transforming complex trauma was more speaking about uh, why it is that racism is, is so embedded in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently gave a talk at the University of Michigan talking about uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, legacy and also mm-hmm. talking about the innovator that he was, that his words are still even though he's saying it in the 60s, his words are still so relevant today. Mm. And talking about how there are things that are unchanging in our society, things that uh, transcend time. And that's why this approach for healing people from their experiences of complex trauma, we need to go back to the past in order to change the way how they feel in the present so they can change Mm -hmm. uh, the journey of their future. And we need to use it we need to do it in a different way. And so in that presentation, I spoke about how many of my clients, when they talk about racial trauma, they're not always talking about, you know, a white guy that's playing Halloween with a, a hood all over his head or mm-hmm. like, you know, that's not always what racism looks like from mm-hmm. day to day. Most times it's that I've been denied uh, a promotion or most times it's that um, I just can't pass the glass ceiling or there's microaggressions at work. And so there's something in all of our fields that uh, that teaches us and re- re-instructs us how to be racist. And so that's why I was, spoke about science or um, uh, statistics relating to racism in dentistry, racism in gynecology, because we all have the similar race, racist um, foundations from Darwin, you know, from Carl Linnaeus, from uh, uh, Blumenbach, who created the term uh, Caucasian, which is a word that shouldn't be in any scientific text, but it is because of racism. Mm. And so I'm trying to explain that race, the problem of racism is always intersectional. The problem of racism also needs to relate to poverty. The problem of poverty also needs to relate to militarism. Mm. And we can't solve one without also being having the courage to resolve the others no because they're all interconnected and you got it changing that interconnection is is a very big one because i mean there's even that sample like you're saying going back to the stuff that of the past is what was necessary then for society to function versus what is necessary now there we go society to function i mean just popping even to the into our sci-fi fantasies i mean i immediately started thinking of um 
as you're talking about it, it's like something that's being carried forward into the further is like the movie, the television series, The Expanse. You've basically got three factions, all who came from the exact same planet, all who are human. You have Earthers, you have Mar the, the Martians, and then you have the Belters. All still human, all mm -hmm. still needing the same same DNA, mm -hmm. also leading the same medical technology, but somehow just because of the conditions in which they have lived in, they now have an identity that says they are not all the same. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's the strength of science fiction of being able to uh, speak about reality and make it seem as, as if it's not. <laughs> you know, it's like... It makes it so certain concepts are, I think Star uh, Star Trek was one of the first mm -hmm. like television shows to show like interracial, like kissing or something mm -hmm. on TV. It's, it's like, I think that it's, it's really important for us to, to just know that many people, even if you're not a therapist, there are ways that you're able to use an anti-racist therapeutic intervention in the work that you find yourself in. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I don't think that my work is only for psychotherapy. I think it's for everybody who can benefit from psychotherapy, mm -hmm. which is the whole population, because there's a similar um, multi-generational, but more like societal level transmission of trauma that takes place. This is the reason why racism seems as if it's an unsolvable problem. But I really think it seems that way because we need to upgrade our technology. Right. And coming back to the persons or the individuals or everyone was harmed in relationship to other people. Yes. We need to be in relationship to other people who have the skills, the space, the vulnerability to do so in healing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're reminding me is that there are some traumas that take place that don't involve others. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel that like if a person is traumatized because of a machine, like if they're wounded at work or if they are in a car accident, those traumas don't always impact people the same way as betrayal traumas do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's something about when trust is built up between people that causes uh, dissociative symptoms that we see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So betrayal yeah. trauma, cultural betrayal trauma by uh, Dr. Jennifer Gomez, but also institutional institutions can betray people as well. Oh, You'll yes. hear that some people will say like, you know, like I love my workplace or I love my school or like they love an institution. But uh, Dr. Jennifer Fried spoke about institutional betrayal, that there are ways that institutions they don't have, they have no reason for love it's like a well-oiled machine that is operating so you can love it but it can like being in the structure of it can cause some stress so oh, yeah. well i mean and the biggest tool of that is hr yeah, there we go there we go hr is despite what i, I know there's probably some flack for this but hr is there to protect the business not necessarily the employee there we go there we go and so you see like when I had a client who had an issue with uh, one of their coworkers, went to HR for help, and then HR wasn't able to provide the help, sometimes the symptoms that they had would, would be a little different from what one might expect. But it's because it was seen not only as if like they followed all of the rules, they sought help, and then the help attacked them further. Mm -hmm. So then it was no... Yeah, it was no no surprise that they were would be bedridden and end up having dissociative symptoms as well. 
Mm-hmm. So this is why we need to make sure that we have the the right technology and also the right framework as well, so that we don't end up victim blaming our clients. But when we're speaking in this way, we know about the systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know about uh, the way how it impacts not only the mind but the body, and putting that together helps us to be in a better uh, position to help people to to heal from these things or to at least support them so that they find a better job or something. Oh, I'll move on. And even that standpoint of consider creating your own business. Yes. As opposed to continuing to depend on the larger business. Cause again, this is part of that unhealthy gobbling mechanism, that destroying mechanism, that system that's set up to continue to destroy as opposed to. Yes. Yeah. And amen to that. I always wanted to work for a black business. So I became one and mm-hmm. lo and behold, now I'm working as a black business. This is mm-hmm. my, this is my job and it's my dream. I think, uh, I do this because like, I, I always wanted to become the therapist. I always wanted mm-hmm. to meet. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that there are some other people mm-hmm. out there as well that, um, you know, I, I speak to people from all walks of life. And that they're seeking like that type of uh, blessing as well. And because I spoke a little bit about vicarious traumatization, I got to speak about vicarious growth as well. Mm-hmm. Is that there's something transformative about having these types of discussions. There's something transformative about being able to see people heal from unsolvable problems. And when they heal from these unsolvable issues, there's a compassion that de- develops in them for the younger and more vulnerable aspects of themselves. And this is a compassion that keeps on giving. So if we are able to heal an individual, we are also helping to heal their relationship. If we can help them to heal their relationship, we are also helping to heal the relationships that are around them. They become better workers, better managers, less racist individuals, less uh, Mm. toxic individuals to be around. And ultimately, if enough people are able to help enough people to recognize their ability to heal, then we could create better communities. Yeah. Which makes me think of something that again could be a rabbit hole. We could spend an entire other time talking about, but especially the standpoint of going back to our younger inner selves, our younger inner selves are also still operating off of a principle of fair. Hmm. And what happens when, again, the insolvable problem they're dealing with, is actually being insolvable because they are operating on the idea that it has to be fair. Hmm. That the outcome of whatever they need to fix has to be fair. And as very much we see this too, not just with betrayal trauma, but what I would refer as people who are seeking emotional justice versus what can be considered physical justice. Hmm. And talk a bit more about that. Well, okay. So the idea that, um, we go to our legal system, somebody's either getting sued or thrown into jail, but that doesn't mean that they've necessarily will recognize the pain that there was caused to the other person or the significance of what that has done to the other person. They just move on. But for that person, they want that acknowledgement of their wounding of those experiences. And that's sort of that emo that's that emotional justice they want to be is that recognition and how then can that thing get twisted into revenge resentment mm-hmm. and that standpoint now where there is a part of them that will go and do something profoundly stupid that actually makes things worse 
and that aspect of talking about the emotional justice, the moral wounding that is connected with all of that, that isn't happening on a human connection, that especially for what is taught to us first and foremost as kids, and then we have to unlearn as we become adults, mm -hmm. is that relationship fair? Hmm, that's interesting. So, um, it sounds like you're speaking, for me, I understand it as restorative justice, and that was something they practiced in the indigenous community I, I worked at, where they're talking about how sometimes you don't need to get the law involved in a conflict between certain community members, or if the law is involved, the punishment doesn't need to be like what the federal government will say, mm -hmm. but it can be something that's agreed upon between community members and all of these things, which I think is probably how it used to be. <laughs> like you know this is probably how it used to be before the systems were like fully emerged and all uh fully emerged and all that and we became fully immersed in them right. um at the same time i feel that um there's a traumatization that happens when we're young that makes it so that it is true that they may be hurt because things should be fair mm -hmm. but many times they carry the negative belief that says i'm bad or like, I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. And I feel that that is even more detrimental than the, than the belief of this is not fair. Right. They end up carrying a belief about themselves rather than, a, it's like they've come to define themselves because mm -hmm. of the bad thing that has taken place. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that while there are some things that are not fair in our society, including the racism, the sexism, mm -hmm. and all these things, of purpose that some of these unfair things uh, give to us is it gives us the motivation to talk about anti-racist psychotherapy. It mm -hmm. puts us in a state of mindfulness that we need to actually know why it is that we are fighting for fairness. I think it is possible for us to have a fair society, but enough people need to and I think that there are some workplaces that are mm -hmm. equitable. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some systems that do function from a place of trying to raise up people instead of trying to beat them down. Mm -hmm. But we need to heal from the, these injuries that have taken place and learn discernment. Very, Very true. And I think it's one of those where it's sometimes also an aspect of what do people, as we said, this is complex. Not, yes. every, not every explanation is going to suit for every person to understand this sure. standpoint of either the restorative justice or the that need, or in some cases, it might be easier for them if from a framework to understand the idea of emotional justice. Mm. And so the aspect is we're not saying any one of these is a better or the standard way to describe it. It's what's going to be most effective for the client to understand what they're actually needing to work on. True. This is where I use the term emotional justice. Yes. In relationship to betrayal and betrayal trauma, which very much seats with the standpoint of a kid trying to understand what's fair, who got the sure. larger piece, who did or didn't acknowledge them. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think that um, for people to heal, there is a belief that they need to get uh, some type of reparation or some type of vengeance in some mm -hmm. in the worst possible cases. But then after I think about my clients who 
have been treated unfairly by people who have died mm-hmm. or treated unfairly by people who no longer are in the physical realm or in their physical space. Right. And But then when they go home, they're still suffering because of this belief that reflects back onto them. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think um, in a psychotherapy that's going to consider anti-racism, we need to bring it to that spiritual level as well. Very is that so. there's a healing that needs to take place in us forgiveness just takes one but peace takes two people we may not always get peace between uh different parties because this is just the way everyone has their own trauma histories and everyone has their lessons about it but i think it's so important for us to cultivate like at least a a self-forgiveness that takes place not a forgiveness of anyone else before that first initial self-forgiveness that helps a person to know that they can still love themselves regardless of how fair the world has uh has been to them so I think that's a beautiful place for us to take a pause here, mm-hmm. uh, here on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, here with David Archer, licensed marriage and family therapist and master social worker, because we have Canadian designations here. Uh, so stay tuned. We're going to be talking on the second half about the other book, which we're here to yes. <laughs> talk about, not just the aspect of Racial Trauma Recovery, which is the book we've just been talking about, and I know in broad forms, and eventually the training, which I know we're all going to be going to mm-hmm. uh, once that's available as well. So stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Hello, welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, here with 
David Archer, licensed marriage and family therapist and master social worker in Canada. And we've just been talking about racial trauma and recovery, uh, and as well as both the book as well as the future training that's coming on. And one of the other books, as I mentioned at the top of this, was also Black Meditation, 10, Med- 10 Practices for Self-Care, Mindfulness, and Self-Determination. Yes. How did this one come about? So this one came about because I realized that being the only black therapist, black male therapist in my city Hmm. that knew this approach Hmm. was making it so that a lot of people were seeking my assistance and I needed to find out a way of being able to make it so that even if a person wasn't interested in meeting with a different type of therapist, or even if they um, had I had some difficulties being able to find referrals for these individuals because of the mm-hmm. systemic injustices mm-hmm. that are just built in in my province. I wanted people to be able to find uh, a way of being able to heal from their suffering by accessing their inner resources. Mm-hmm. So we also spoke about this during the break is that mm-hmm. um, there have been some white therapists who have used the audiobook version of this book so that I would work as a co-therapist with them. I don't know if they owe me like royalties or something like that, but anyways, this is what would happen is in the book, it's me explaining a meditation or guiding a person through a meditation Mm -hmm. and me being able to help people to be able to respond uh, differently to the stresses that are going through, that they're going through on a base on a regular basis. And also being able to use specific tools that can help people to create a better positive black racial identity mm-hmm. and also help them to access resources that everybody has access to. Mm-hmm. When we're younger, we have very little difficulty being able to feel happy for no reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then when we get older, we become traumatized, we become burdened, we become held down by experiences that take place because of racialization, uh, gender, even the immigration process, et cetera. There there are things that happen to different types of people for different types of reasons. Mm -hmm. But through the types of clients I've met, I've met a lot of people from different backgrounds. I've been able to find that there's this untapped joy that exists within all people. Mm -hmm. There are these resources of courage and confidence and, and love and all these things that exist within all people. And we are able to use the ability for us to sit with our suffering, to acknowledge it, but we are also able to use these, uh, th- the infinite creativity that is within these emotions to, to be able to keep these feelings at bay. And mm-hmm. so it is a pleasure to be able to, to make it so that even if a person doesn't want or doesn't have the ability to, to go and see a therapist, that this book, that the words can, uh, can help them on their journey anyways. That's so. So it breaks it, break it, you break it down into several different uh, sections that you're motivated on. For example, there's cultivating uh, the purpose goal that as it as it sits. There's discipline through breath and body, envisioning, envisioning a direction, mm-hmm. gratitude, writing, blessings and affirmation of the spirit, courage steps outside of your pattern, and just to name a few. There's a few other ones in here. And I know I've used um, the loving meditation, severing attachments, and loving yes. attach- attention one recently with several clients. Super important, especially for therapists as well, mm-hmm. is that when we are therapists working, listening to stories of people's suffering, mm-hmm. 
um, whether we like it or not, we are creating a connection with them. And so the therapist, I think, is most skilled because they're using intuition. They're looking at a person. They're tuning into all the emotions. They're even to some degree, they're tuning into the trauma history of another person. Mm. So what I found is when I was focused more on using talk therapies in the past, I needed to use these skills to cut off the connections that I had in between sessions. Even now, if I have a client that is presenting with really strong emotional material, I got to cut those cords off before I go to bed and like, you know, chill with my son, uh, chill with my partner and any of that, you know, because it's like there's an accumulation that comes with us being able to witness suffering and sitting with suffering. And so meditation, I think, is and these these uh these skills that are designed for us to to make it so that we connect back to our body and that we move what is that we're able to discern what is ours and what is not ours are really helpful for not only just therapists, but anyone who's working with other people and in their energy uh, fields. What, what brings us back to the Reiki aspect and that spiritual standpoint. So mm -hmm. is, could it also be said that it's safe to say that black meditation is one of the outshoots of all this work around spirituality too? Well, I think that we are all living a spiritual experience. It's just mm -hmm. that we've deluded ourselves into thinking that um, the mind is different from the body and that mm -hmm. these things are separate from the spirit. Mm -hmm. If you, in the book, they, we talk about uh, ancient Kemet mm -hmm. and the Kemetic way. So in ancient Egypt, the way of looking at it was that mathematics was not separate from spirituality. That language also was not separate from a person's belief in uh, mm -hmm. in spirituality as well, and even like some of the the hieroglyphs are referring to universal concepts. So for us, when we like again, my name is David, and I know it's a biblical thing, and you know he killed mm -hmm. Goliath and all of these things, but there's some people's names that don't really mean a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. No disrespect, but some people's names is just it's just the name, you know, it's just it's just what the thing is. <laughs> But um, the, very much the cultural concept of naming a child for the purpose or influence it's supposed to have in the world. Yeah. So, I mean, like, look, I'm a big fan of video games, but I've seen some people that have had, they've been named after video game characters. It's like completely mm -hmm. clear. I haven't seen, you know, I, I've, I've met some Mario's that are not Italian. Okay. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just, I'll put it in that way. Okay. So, I do, so the thing is, it's just, um, and no disrespect, Mario's a great name. It's a great video game also. Um, the basic idea is this, is that there's something about Descartes and the uh, I think, therefore I am mm -hmm. ideas of being able to separate the per of saying that because of my thoughts, this is what makes me a being. Mm -hmm. um, it, it also, okay. And some philosophers may not like my interpretation, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Go see a therapist and work it out. Okay. The thing is that, what we need to do is we need to think that our worth is not is not something that uh, creates or our work is not something that creates our worth. Mm -hmm. The thing that we produce oftentimes is tied to our worth in a capitalist system. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that a person is pure, divine, beautiful, spiritual because they exist. Mm -hmm. They don't need to do anything separate than just existing in order to be worthy. And I needed to put that into that book of like showing that you are able to tap into your awesomeness by just sitting. Mm. 
I think it is super important for people to to just know that that they come from greatness. And um, I don't remember which chapter it was, but I spoke about the unknown ancestor. Mm. So um, there are some times where we will say that we are great because we come from kings and queens. And that is helpful, but again, it's tied to the idea of dominance and tied to the idea of worth and wealth and all of these mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of there's someone who, despite the odds, despite the obstacles, they were able to save one of my ancestors who was a young baby. Mm -hmm. And maybe they did it in ways that were unsophisticated. Maybe they did it in ways that were not as quote unquote civilized as what we might do here. But, for, but they were able to make it so that someone was able to continue on my genealogy. So I think in the same way that we put this attention towards, I come from ancient kings and queens. I think who's even more important than any of those kings and queens is my ancestor that has no grave, mm -hmm. the un, that it's an unmarked grave. My ancestor who uh, maybe didn't go to university or college. It's my ancestor mm -hmm. who was able to survive mm -hmm. and it's by their grace and by the work that they did is the reason why we're having this conversation. I think we need to be able to honor um, even the things that have no name. We need to be able to, to, to show love and appreciation for those ancestors and that strength, not the strength that's in Wikipedia, not the strength that's in your Oscars or any of those things. We need to acknowledge yeah. that there is something great that we all come from. Yeah, yeah. And I know also, like I said, there's scholars who are going to be angry at you. I know there's that classic story of Queen Nazenga who negotiated certain deals with uh, the white merchants. And the white the merchants basically had a rug for her to sit on. It was never going to be on the same level with her. And she motioned for one of her her staff to essentially assume a position that allowed her to be on equal footing with that. And I know I personally say the strongest person in this room was not that queen. The strongest person in this room was that person who kneeled for the entire length of that time, unmoving for this to be able to happen. There we go. That's the person I want to honor more. There we go. I acknowledge what this queen did, but I acknowledge that person far more. Exactly. That's the basis of it is that um, you're black because you're beautiful. You're beautiful because you're black. Is that you don't need a reason in order to like to seek the beauty outside of yourself. Um is not it's not it's like all that glitters is not gold kind of type of thing. Mm -hmm. Is that we are the gold. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you like, you know, I as I said, I worked with uh people who had spiritual beliefs. I have spiritual beliefs as well. And recently last week I had to tell a person who was using energy crystals. Uh, to protect themselves from negative entities. Mm -hmm. And again, coming from their perspective, I just, I said, I can see why you would be using this and that you're using every resource that is at your disposal. I also want to remind you that you are the crystal. Mm -hmm. There's something about us that we believe that there needs to be something that we get before we get there. But the idea with meditation is that you're already here. Mm-hmm. Which I would also again wonder for our conversation before when we were on the break is how much is that because it's easy for them to follow an idea of a certain story 
principle of that structure without realizing how much power lies within them. Just because of all the stories that we've been told. Mm-hmm. So, who knows? Well, I know also we need to be wrapping up with respect to time and so forth. And so I was just wondering, is there any particular meditation you would like to close out with for people to carry forward with them today going forward, especially the celebration of this month of us and our power um, and our beauty and our love? So the meditation is this, is that you are black because you are beautiful. You're beautiful because you're black. For any person who's listening to this, regardless of who they told you your racial group belongs to, of knowing that we all are descendants of mitochondrial Eve, who was a black African woman. I say this not to try to privilege the idea of blackness or not to try to privilege one group over another, but for us to do away with the delusion and to understand we are all family and we are all trying to find our, our path back home. When we are able to heal from the trauma of the past, we are more readily able to see it for what it was, of understanding that we are all people of value. We all come from a common source. And that all the fancy, <laughs> the fancy things that are out there, there are some things that are even more important. And so in the same way that you'll see that there's an interest in yoga and just knowing that comedic yoga, African yoga was a thing as well. In the same way that you'll see in psychotherapy, there's an interest in mindfulness of just knowing that conveniently we tend to keep Africa out of, <laughs> like we'll talk about like Eastern philosophies and all that stuff. And you guys skip over continents and all these things. Yeah. They go East, West and they never go North, South either. Exactly. So what I'd like for people to know is that, um, uh, home is where the heart is and it's right here. And also just to know that, uh, that we're all one family and black meditation is helpful. Even if you're not a black person, I had clients that are Asian and all that who told me that it's been very helpful for them. I've had white therapists that have said that it's helpful for them as well. Um, there's audio books for anti-racist psychotherapy for black meditation and, um, the other books as well. No audiobooks yet because time but the thing is that uh i'm working as hard as i can to just make it so that healing is something that people will be able to have in the grasp of, of their hands and that we need to as therapists we need to step up and start to find out um how do we make it so that therapy is something that's not just for the rich people how do we make it that therapy is not only going to treat the racism but it'll uh, treat also the issues of poverty that are in the society and how do we make it so that we see that mental health is a human right? There, there's too much trauma. There's too much war that's happening out in the world. We need to get serious. So I'm doing everything that I can with every waking moment of reading about therapy, writing about therapy, and sharing this message because I feel that people need to know that they can heal. And we need more healers. And we need more people to know that, uh, that they are beautiful because they exist. Uh, as always, I think that's a beautiful place for us to go and wrap for today. And I want to thank you for sharing the books that you've written. And so I'm going to go ahead and at some point get that third or fifth book that you've written, as well as I'll be signing up for your rhythm and reprocessing class when it's available. And that people can find you at your website, which is? 
archertherapy.com. All right. We'll have that in those notes. And thank you again for being part of it. Thank you, Barry. Talking about it. I know we <laughs> we had a moment of, during our, uh, our our break where we were talking theories and so forth. And either way, we understood we were talking about the same thing, just from different sides, different angles, and different approaches, but still understood. We both want to see healing done. Of course. It's just, what's the mechanism and who are we working with to get them to that place? Mm-hmm. Any paths up the mountain. Not a single one. So stay stay tuned for the rest of what we've got for this month of uh, Black Celebration, Black Joy, Black Pride, and Black History. Because history is still being made today and going forward. And that history is yours today. So stay tuned. I'll be back for more in the future. Bye, folks. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.